Welcome to episode 8 of the Michael Anthony Show. Um, we are now a month into this um, roller coaster that has been the production of the show. And last night we had our 3,000 listen. Um, humbled would be an understatement. I know I've built a reputation for not thanking the listeners or not showing um, any sort of respect to the listeners, but I, I, I must state publicly um, that it has been great to be on this journey with you and, and from the bottom of my uh, cold, dark heart, um, I, I thank each and every one of you. Um, in order to celebrate 3,000 listens, I'm joined by fan favourite, um, Connor Doby, who's making his first appearance uh, on the show in, in nearly two weeks. How are you, Connor? Good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, what we're doing, Ori guess, is this side of this side of the new year, we're just still focusing on, on, on the structure we've been doing the whole time. We're just getting to know you. We want you to know us. We're expressing ourselves over a variety of topics. And then uh, into 2019, we will be mixing it up and getting a variety of different guests on the show to talk about um, various different issues. Um, not only is Connor here to celebrate 3,000 with me, though, um, we are also here to celebrate the fact that we launched on iTunes last week. Um, very surprised to have got accepted, especially due to some of the um, things that have been expressed on the show uh, and some of the delusion that has come out of Connor's mouth in particular. Um, but there is now no excuses. Um, two shows ago I spoke about pirating. It hasn't proved. People aren't pirating to the same extent. Uh, but for those of you who are still pirating, we are now the touch of a button away um, on your phone. So um, absolutely no excuses not to, to tap into the iTunes. For uh, any of the listeners who um, have graduated from schools such as Temple Hill College who, who would not have iPhones, I don't really know what the situation is in terms of access. Um, I can only assume that you either have A, a Nokia, um, or at best, B, um, your father's old Blackberry. Uh, so I'm not really too sure how the iTunes app works on that, but I'm sure it's something you can figure out. Uh, Connor, how are you? Good. Uh, well done, the 3,000 listens. Big lamp. No, and well done to you as well. Um, it's something that um, that you have played a part in. I don't think I or any of the listeners could deny that. So so fair play to you. Have um have you become a happier man since you've had success on, on this platform? Uh, yeah, I'd say happier, definitely more. Have you noticed a difference in your life? Confident. Yeah, yeah. in what way? Um, get Listen to more in bars. What do you uh, mean? Find people aren't ignoring me as much when I'm talking. What? So you, you now... My opinion gives more, uh, is listened to. It has more, more, it has more yeah, weight. It has well, more that's, weight. Well, that's, that's brilliant for you, and especially considering that uh, three or four months ago you were in a place of... of of alcoholism nearly I mean you were working the bars in New York you looked like Jack Osborne you had a swollen red face and a gingerish kind of young Wayne Rooney beard um, so it's pleasing to see that you've come out the other end and it just shows everyone that when you do hit one of those walls um, there is always um, a sledgehammer Around the corner. So so you're happier in yourself? Yeah, I'm happier, definitely. Would you say, um, as well as happier, you are slightly deluded? Yeah, probably. Because four out of um, four out of the seven days of the, of the week, you can now be seen wearing a polo neck. 
Yeah, I won the Warner one before. The yeah, broadcast. so yeah, so there is a link between this broadcast and you, and you were in Poland X. Must be, yeah. Well, that's 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 quite embarrassing. Um, the way, even the way you're sitting, it suggests that I'm nearly lucky to have you here. It's um, it, it's crazy how the tables have turned, but uh, no, I'm happy for you. Um, I suppose what you think of yourself matters more than what people think of you. So delusion okay. and sometimes delusion actually feel like why do people get slagged for being deluded? Like if somebody's off, they're not deluded. They weren't Poland X, and they do think <laughs> they are um, Jerry Ryan or fucking Ryan Seacrest as Connor does. Why? Why? Why tell him he's not? No, you're happy on yourself. Where, where are your Poland X exactly? And have you noticed it affecting your life with females yet? Or no, I haven't. Absolutely I haven't not. And... Yeah. So that's just still. That's still still going. That's fine. Um. That's uh. Yeah. That's who. So um, no, thanks a minute for coming on, and and again, uh, thank you um, to all the listeners. You have you have been um, you've been brilliant. Your Christmas party, I believe, was on uh, last Friday. Last Friday, yeah. How was it? Last Thursday, Friday. Uh, yeah, it was all right. Um, went into town. Yeah, I don't I don't really care. But my point is that Christmas party season. Um, also means drink season, gargle season. And the attitude towards alcohol in this country um, is something that absolutely shocks me. Connor, do you remember your first experience with alcohol in yes, life? Yes, I do, yeah. I don't mean you consuming it. I mean, go back to your childhood. Yeah. What what role did alcohol play? It's shocking, Ralph. Every time I drank it, I get sick again and I don't know if it's the delusion or if it's um, an intelligence thing I'm asking you when you're five six seven you're, oh, you're around the guy in, in your seven. life what were your first experiences oh, with alcohol was yeah. it going was it being brought into a bar going to a match was it seeing like dinner parties occur downstairs what what was dinner parties in my house uh, and then being brought to matches and having to stand in the bar while my dad drank in a bar before a game so uh, so what how long how long before kickoff would fall go uh, about an hour or two hours before kickoff and I'd have to sit in the member the bridge Bellamy's yeah opposite Lansdowne Road yeah. literally be there and I what, couldn't move in the bar what would, you, what, what would you be doing uh, nothing he wouldn't be talking to me I'd be kind of just looking at I'd actually be doing nothing it was appalling I'd probably not not more than ten. Would you like occasionally get a euro and go and get some uh, poppets out of the machine in the bathroom? Probably, yeah. Or go to the shop. Yeah, and it is looking back. I think that we look back at, at the way our fathers and our parents' generation was brought up, and the fact that they were getting hit by uh, by teachers and, and possibly yeah. by their parents. I think that when we tell our children, uh, that's if we have them, yeah, that we used to be brought to boozers for three and four hours before games and left isolated with a glass bottle of coke well they got smashed it's it's pretty crazy stuff and it's something that i can't imagine um stays in society much longer if it even still does exist does it still exist i'm not too sure but like the whole not just the alcohol nature of it but the kind of attitude of a father towards a son in the 90s was only one or two steps on from how they were raised. So they were literally battered and told they were nothing every day. But like, yeah. I, and I challenge a listener, has anybody ever made their father laugh? <laughs> the relationship between man and father is one that's very, very interesting. Has anyone ever 
had a father express surprise at news they've given them. No. It's just always disappointing. And then you give up for six or seven months of the year and then the other five are like, no, I'm going to make this happen because that's what I have to do. And you try and it just doesn't... Like, have you experienced the exact same thing I'm talking about? Yeah, obviously. I walk into the kitchen, say something, and literally it's ignored. Then you feel guilty the next day because you're not doing anything. And then, Go into the kitchen again, yeah. say something, ignore it. And then out of nowhere, after they've ignored you and you're on the buzz of like... I'm not going to try, I'm not going to speak to you. Yeah. They come in and then you blank them. Yeah. So it just has this kind of like unspoken about nearly game. Yeah, it does, yeah. And that's what exists between in, in the father and son relationship. It's one that I think people are going to overdo. I think that by the time we're in our 30s and 40s, there's going to be lads holding their son's hand. Yeah, there's going to be lads wearing those things, which I think are kind of the minute where you hold the kid and stuff. I've been really over-supportive. I kind of do think, yeah, it was overdone, especially by those um, fathers who were from the country who raised city kids. I can understand where that kind of attitude of annoyance and thinking they had everything handed to them comes from. Yeah. And I see a correlation between, like, some of my friends who are country dads and some of are Dublin dads and the kind of difference. But, like, let's not overdo it. There's huge respect that I have forefathers who were stern, yeah. who who do tell the like. You have to remember when I was twelve years of age, I was playing in a, a tournament, rugby tournament, and I was place kicking in a final. Yeah, and I kicked well all year, but the final probably had two hundred fifty people at it. Yeah, it was on a huge pitch, and the parents in the previous games used to stay, and we were in sixth class, and I missed my first two, and I saw this um, character coming down from the bank of the pitch yeah. the, the character of my father great man lovely man yeah and he came down to the sideline I was like yeah it doesn't really do you know what I mean he wouldn't have really been the type to get involved in sport and I actually kind of really detested the father should do get involved oh, yeah, in sport it was really embarrassing and there was always a kind of correlation between them being shit at sport and them getting involved too They never. it was never the good fathers who were involved it was, no. it was the accountants um, but yeah he came down and I was like oh could be a word of wisdom. Do I need to use a different kicking tee? And he just simply said, "Stop kicking." <laughs> he uh, asked me, age twelve, to let someone else take over the kicking duties. Now, maybe, maybe that was over the top, but I think it's very easy to get deluded, yeah. Um, especially in youth, and there's a huge epidemic in the youth been deluded now like you can just go on Instagram and see that and how much people what people think they are and what they think they've achieved and they've done nothing and like all these guys who are kind of going to the gym doing a few squats coming home and making a, a few pancakes yeah and saying a day in the life which literally involves lifting a weight making a pancake going to bed early because sleep's important for muscle growth like you'd have to question were their dads were their dads not doing their job? And that is keeping them grounded. Their kids will be crazy. What are their kids? But their they're kids are just going to be like, I don't even know what they're going to become. The yeah. kids of the guys. Uh, oh, my goodness. They surely can't have them. No, but that's kind of, we veered off um, the topic that is the, the drink crisis. Yeah. Like, in this country, we bring Barack Obama so many things to to explore there. So many avenues we could have went down. And the main image that will always be remembered of Obama's visit is him going to a boozer in Offaly and drinking a black. Yeah. That's all it is. We are just so associated. We nearly take pride in it. So we're angry about the fact of 
uh, all the Americans think we are alcoholics. Do you know what I mean? We have a problem with it, but we take pride in having such a big name in New York. The reason we have a name in New York is because of Irish boozers and because of the Irish staff and Irish boozers. You can't walk down the street without seeing a shamrock and an Irish flag coming out of a pub door. Yeah. We are synonymous with Gargle. We have always have been. And we like to advertise that. Yeah, so stop having a problem with the stereotyping towards the Irish. People complaining about the family guy in Simpsons episodes of Ireland being drunks. That's what we enjoy. Look what we did with Obama. Even our biggest superstar at the minute has kind of stopped fighting and now he's selling gargle. Yeah. And we're all behind the selling of the gargle. People work in jobs they really don't enjoy just to get pissed on a Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Take their hangover on Sunday, go back, get pissed again. And then as opposed to going, I really don't enjoy this job, I'm going to try to focus on something that can lead me to a life I like. They're like, no, minute fries on getting pissed, so I have no, you've no opportunity for, for thought. No, you're Because not. anytime you're sober, the weekend's the only time you're really sober. Weeknights, all you're thinking about is the next day. Yeah. All you're thinking about is going in the next morning. Your, your head's not there. Then the first thing Friday, pissed. Saturday, run away from that hangover. Get pissed again. Sunday, just really hung over. And then you start playing tricks in your mind. Go, no, I need to focus. Get into work tomorrow now. Cut myself <laughs> on. But then by the time the next five days end, you're like, fuck that. Getting pissed again. All we do is drink. I know, yeah. All we like talking about is drinking. It's disgusting culture. And like, it's the, the level of aggression we treat drink with is just phenomenal like how deliberate like what other cultures maybe scotland maybe the uk northern uk and like america drink they drink a brunch they drink all day but not with the velocity like from the ages of 16 to 21 it's an aggre- it's a sport yes. it's aggressive it's like going to the gym if you get yourself up for it so want to get like a nagging and six cans before you leave it's so... And, like, adults are the exact same. Like, like I'm talking 14 points. Why does every elf fella claim you had four or five? Over a day. So if, if you're there on Christmas Day or New Year's Eve or any type of event when you're growing up throughout your whole childhood or even to adulthood now, there's no man that will turn around and admit you what he actually had. It's like, you, I was there. No. For some reason, you can only admit before 25 you had 14. After that, it just becomes an addiction thing. So you start denying it. I remember growing up going... Why is everyone denying this? Because it's cool to get pissed. It's cool to drink when you're younger. But now, like, because the weight gets gained with it, your face goes a bit red, you're aging, there's guys losing hair and they're starting to wonder whether it's from alcohol abuse because the balding rates in Ireland. And I don't know what the link here is, but, like, people say it's genetic. I was in the States for a year. There's not as many eggs going around. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 50 to 60% of male groups in their mid-20s now have recitos, have McDonald's signs left, right, and center. So we'd want to question the is relationship with drink. What? Why? What? Why is everyone bald in this country? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but like, even our politicians, even our figures, like throughout our whole, it's like we we celebrate with gargle. But the funniest is how we use it to medicate. Like during the recession, it was just all drink. Like that 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 led to the invention of Arthur's Day. See, Brian Cowan, what was he? Was he yeah. just a symbol of being gargle? He was going drunk on the airways as as the prime minister of the nation. <laughs> Had the night real hungover, like had like a real hungover voice. Like it was a real youthful college hangover. Like it was as if he went to the palace at the end of his night out and uh, and got the three Jaeger deals. Yeah. Um, I think that's why people deny it as well, the level of hangover we have the next day. Yeah, so, the, so, so they're denying in their hangover. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, it's just like the things like dry January, such a thing in Ireland. And like most people only survive halfway, but the whole like dry January thing, yeah. as, if, like, as if it's an achievement. It's really, really unhealthy. Like the head of the FAI, synonymous with Gargle. And like Leo Varadkar is now this kind of gay, sophisticated uh, Taoiseach. But like, what? He's probably replacing the Guinness with martinis. Let's be fair here. Because he's in the papers recently for like a drink issue. Is he? In the O2 and the oil club, did he or did he not pay for it? But the reality is, it's still gargle orientated. Yeah. Everything is gargle orientated. We win a Six Nations of videos the next day of the players being gargled. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievably, um, it's unbelievably problematic. And I just think Christmas season is, is where you see it at its best and at its most violent. And that's why I thought it was important to bring up we're going to see people... You can't go out here at Christmas anymore. We ruin Christmas because it gets so... Have you ever... Like, drunk people are really scary to be around. And there's people out there who can drink and don't get that pissed. And, like, they just can't have a good time because people are coming up saying things that don't make sense. Man, you, you'd be urinating in the bathroom beside a 50-year-old man who's, like, could... Call, like, sure, I remember when my package looked like that. <laughs> like... And then he'll go from saying he remembers when his package looked like that to just in a real paranoid way with tears in his eyes saying that he thinks he might have cancer with no <laughs> symptoms so out of nowhere and then you're like what you think you have what I don't know are you saying I have fucking cancer oh, I look like I have fucking cancer and he's turning it on you this is what alcohol does it's it's so scary and it's so damaging I mean you go back to your early days not only of seeing alcohol your first days of drinking yeah. do you recall then yeah um, very bad like I remember your first day of underage drinking and uh, I was waiting at the top of the road for you Mine. yeah it was your oh, first yeah. day of ever drinking and you were getting six cans yeah. in a centre I'm not yeah. going to name where and you were sprinting back yeah. not with the cans but with plastic bags for them and you knocked an old woman yeah. to the ground she split her head open yeah. there was blood all over the pavement the guards were there and you had to go to a guard station yeah, you yeah. hadn't had a sip of beer yet no <laughs> But you're, like that just sums you up. But you hadn't had a sip of gargle yet. So but in your first day drink, and you were in the station, not even caught with gargle. No, just from accidental assault of an eighty-year-old woman. I got like, yeah. They were trying to do me for assault. Yeah, outside Eddie Rockets rat mines. I'll never forget. Oh. There was actual blood on the pavement. How hard did you hit her? So hard. Why? I'm so sorry for her. Yeah, you would have done. It's that that was. Uh, where, where, where did she? Not, their kids and all get involved. No, I don't know. Someone picked her up. She had blood everywhere. But ambulance took her away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you were wearing like an Abercrombie polo. Yeah. Oh, so embarrassing. Oh. But it's just violent. And then that day, after you escaped the guard yeah. station, you got you had to drink until you got sick. Yeah. That was your introduction to it. And the first five or six times, just getting sick. And that just kind of starts, fades its way slowly, slowly down. Then you can start handling it. Your stomach grows. You went from puking every time to just getting wellied and being able to hold it. Now you're hard. But then you find yourself in your mid-20s, you're like, is the drink for me? What What are you looking for off drink? Because it was something that you originally do to be cool. Then it's something you do to abuse because you want the buzz. What does it offer you now? No, what does drink I'm starting to think drink is a young person's drug people claim it's supposed to be social now, but when people have 14 points no. it's not social what's social it's about it go to any Christmas party this year in Dublin and tell me is there more regret or is there more joy because we're not sitting around the piano singing a fairy tale in New York no. with candles lit that's, that's not it can be good but that doesn't happen what happens is really weird comments from like the L1 in the office that you didn't know was the case yeah. then you might kind of nearly yourself make a fool yourself to a girl you had an eye on or even a bloke and say something like man I didn't know you were this saint I didn't know you were this saint and then you wake up the next day you're like what I'm quitting 
yeah. then someone goes to the casino, someone goes to coppers, and then you have fucking Neve Jackson from accounts literally stripping when she has four kids at home yeah, in the copper horrible. smoking area. How does anyone enjoy it? It's it's really sad. So just in this Christmas period, and I, I speak to all the MA listeners here, be careful. Watch it. Um, dominating the news at the minute is the Raheem Sterling uh, scandal. Um, he's claiming not only, of course, was he racially abused by the Chelsea fans recently, but he has been racially targeted by the media throughout his career. What are your thoughts on that? Don't really know what to make of it. Like, it's some of the things that some do post about him do seem a bit. Yeah, but we can say that they're over the top, et cetera, et cetera. But like we saw, I saw an example there that he he's used in the newspaper, and it was between Phil Foden buying a house for two point seven million and another city youngster, a black player whose name escapes me now, who bought a house. And they're saying that they advertise it as Foden buys house to, and then is supporting his mother. And they're saying the other guy. Who doesn't have yet have a Premier League appearance? He doesn't though. No, I know. He doesn't yeah. have a Premier League appearance. Yeah. So they're just stating the fact of how does he have this money? We understand by Foden does he plays a bit. Yeah. The uh, other guy doesn't. So it's not racism. Yeah. Does, does anyone remember how David Beckham was treated by the media? Yeah. Like West Ham fans singing, We hope your son dies. We yeah. hope your son dies, just after the birth of Brooklyn Beckham, singing your wife is a whore. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. David Beckham, the headline, the paper, national newspapers after he got sent off against Argentina, 10 brave lines, one spoilt little child. His life was ruined. He couldn't go on holidays. They're commenting on Raheem Sterling's tattoo. Yeah, he has a machine gun on his leg. But David Beckham wore a little beach gown once and his life was ruined for 18 months. Wayne Rooney, okay, if Raheem Sterling's racism, Wayne Rooney uglyism. Wayne Rooney was just disliked for looking like a potato with holes in it. He was just disliked. Anything he did was always still laced in this eyes. He's so minging though. Yeah, he got a shocking. Rooney, appalling. I just don't understand how it's different. It's yeah, not. No, I don't see, and I'd be first to call it. I think it's just a way of the media. It, it sums up the modern day left world and media, but they're highlighting issues that are unimportant. Yeah. When running away from what really matters, like the way we talk about Trump, like the way we talk about Brexit, the poor people are what. And who voted for Brexit. Yeah. So instead of dealing with how the working class view the government because there's an issue there, and we do, instead of going, they clearly want change, and this is clearly a message from the impoverished sector of society who we ignore, we just start complaining about it. Yeah. Or the Trump aspect, and how people feel like the kind of capitalistic ways of places like California and New York are wrong towards the rest of the country... Trump comes in on a vote and we just start going on about Trump as opposed to dealing with the issues of what these people want. Why do they feel hard done by? And the reality is the media want to deny that, to, to push away the uh, the notion that they've been racist in their coverage of black managers and how they haven't done enough for this crisis we have on black managers getting the job instead of actually going, let's focus on that because in reality they don't want a black dude managing their England team. Yeah. They don't. They couldn't hack it. So instead of that, they're now going, yeah, yeah, Sterling mistreated. Yeah, I don't know. Sterling does seem to be hated. It's probably because he left It's insane. And like Gary Neville's comments last night about Sterling, like, I, I don't even know if he believes that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, he said he's worse than Rooney and Beckham. I think Gary Neville's doing a lot of things he doesn't believe because Gary Neville was such a hated player. Yeah. He, and he knows so much about football and he's a very good pundit. But because he was so hated, especially by Liverpool fans, it's like he's kind of enjoying the popularity and this whole thing that Liverpool fans have now agreed that Gary Neville's a fair pundit he, he was a cunt of a player but he calls a game and now that he kind of has that he doesn't want to let go of it like last night Jamie Carragher 
put Manchester United outfield player in his combined side. Now, I don't want to get into Liverpool United because everyone knows they have certain leanings, but United finished ahead of Liverpool in the league last season yeah. uh, by four points and also got to the FA Cup final. I know Liverpool got the Champions League final and stuff like that, but like the seasons weren't too far off each other in terms of what one was better. And um, we're 16 games into this one. It's December. Yeah. And he's already putting one Manchester United player in his outfield team. Yeah. He doesn't, have, he doesn't have Pogba in there. Like, you have to realise, in years when United used to win three leagues in a, row, in a row and on, Liverpool hadn't won one in how many years, there was still never really a time where a pundit would have been putting a whole United outfield in there. That's just that's just ridiculous. And What's then the and then Neville puts four in. Does he? And Carragher's just constantly going at him. Constantly these undercut comments. Like, the abuse Neville takes off Carragher about, like, Valencia jibes, all of that. And it's just like, Neville's above it because he had success in his own career that he doesn't feel the need to. But he could easily go, mate, you, you were filmed spitting on a United fan recently. The fact that he's even allowed to talk about United when there's footage of him spitting, why'd he even get his job back? I don't know. And, like, if you want to, like, Steve McManaman, he calls it fairly Good because point, he achieved... Yeah. Alan Hansen used to be called things fairly. And I know he gets a lot of stick from the United fans because, oh, you don't with the kids. But I don't agree with that. He called things fairly. He achieved. And Carragher, for me, he just he just reeks of this anti-United bitterness. Like, it's... Uh, like, like, it's like the way Neville even said, like... Neville came out yesterday saying that the Gerrard slip. Yeah, that right. it wasn't Gerrard's fault and Mignolet should have saved it. It's like... Again, he's just saying things. And then Liverpool fans love that. It's like he's afraid to say something because he's so afraid of, of going back into the we hate Gary Neville thing. And he's kind of a businessman. He kind of That's like the main part of his life. He's kind of looking for success in that world. He kind of wants to keep everyone on side. And I think he's fallen into traps. I don't like the way he lets Carragher treat him on it. And that Mignolet thing is absolute bullshit. The one-on-one occurred because Gerrard slipped yeah. how the goalkeeping happens it's, the, the finisher decides where he puts the ball based on the goalkeeper's position so he says uh, Alisson could have stopped that we don't know Demobat could have done things differently if Alisson's positioning was different it's such a ridiculous, ridiculous thing that's all problem. over the media though yeah. it's all over the media everyone's talking about this everyone's talking about it so it was just disappointing to see that um, from Jamie Carragher I couldn't really I couldn't really swallow it because it was just wrong um, in terms of Premier League eleven, um, we're now at the second central midfielder. A lot of people saying that they had a problem with Kante uh, being in there. I, I still uh, challenge them to just go back and listen to the, the points I presented. And if we're talking about the actual how good we want the team to be, I find it very hard to leave them out. But this is an opinion game, so I appreciate your comments. I love passion for the game, regardless of your leanings. So I respect a lot of people who are saying they'd have a Lampard in there, they'd have a Gerrard in there, whatever, they'd have a Keane in there, whatever. That's fine. I'd have Kante, but we're here to create conversation. Centre midfielder number two. Again, unbelievably competitive. First nominee, and again, it comes back to my point about company, about how we can't deny that these city boys are, are becoming legends. Yaya Torre. Um, Yaya Torre is a guy who has played over 220 Premier League games. He's won three leagues, more or less won the FA Cup on his own in 2011 with the goal against United in the semi and the wonder goal in the final. But, but bar all that, how can I not nominate a guy who started centre-back in the Champions League final in 09 when his team won the quadruple? 
and five seasons later scored 20 league goals in the modern game. 09, centre-back, biggest game of world football. 2014, 20 league goals. The human train, he was called by many. Um, great passer, unbelievably physical, good vision, could break up play defensively, good tackler, so strong. It was like, as his career went on, he just added things that he could do, season by season. Um, became a free kick taker out of nowhere. Like, what? what's he talking about there? Yeah. Started taking penalties. Added goals to his game in a huge way. Um, Yaya Torre was just one of those players that just always brought it. Now, he obviously, the odd season might have been shaky because he was that mental off the pitch. You can only look at, like, the birthday cake, stuff like that. And him and Colo Torre did lose a brother, by the way. That that would have played. Yeah, they lost a brother young, like, four or five years ago, which, which would have played a huge role. Kind of that could play a huge role in form and stuff like that. We often ignore footballers' personal yeah. lives. It's not it's like we're not allowed. Like when Paul Pogba lost his father, like the guy was only 23, 24 years of age. That, that's a huge blow to anyone, and like it's just not taken into consideration um, uh, when his form kind of dipped. Uh, Yaya Torre was just such a physical presence, but he mixed it with technical brilliance. A stunning footballer, a stunning addition to the Premier League. And I know it still seems new. He still seems like a symbol of New Verish City, but time has passed, guys. He was that good. Yeah. He was excellent. Three league titles. Yeah. Now, he didn't play a huge role in the last one, but the other two, like his 2014, he was PFA Team of the Year in the season of the other two. His 2014 season was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think if you're nominating six midfielders, you can't leave somebody as good as Yaya Torre out. He, he was just everywhere. Yeah, you... Strong, relatively quick. Well, no, not relatively quick, but not not an absolute slug. No, I remember. I think it was a goal away at Palace when he brought the ball sixty yards. Like he could run with the thing, could dribble, he could pass. I just can't leave him out, and I'm, I don't think anyone can. Um, Hundred and one Ivory Coast caps, successful enough international career. Just if you look at the progression of his career and where he came from and, and what heights he achieved to play for two major forces in, in European football, to even be from the Ivory Coast and do that. Um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant footballer. Um, Vieira would have been kind of the comparable one, but I just think Yaya was more complete than Patrick, so that's why he's getting that nominee. Uh, nominee number two, um, and this is undeniable, um, world class to say the least, um, Stephen Gerrard. Um, Stephen Gerrard was extremely, extremely close to complete. Um, tactical intelligence, sublime, determined, leader, unbelievable striker of the ball. We know that. Great passer of the ball. Two things that are underrated. Pace, especially when he was younger, and how good he was in the air. And I just don't mean headers. I mean, like, midfield, aerial duels. Gerard always got up. Um, if you look at his career when he first burst onto the scene, in terms of the Gerard I rate, I rate early days Gerard higher, even though late days. The, the 0-1 Gerard, yeah. the one, that England team away in Munich, uh, Gerard under Julier, the box-to-box midfielder. Benitez came in, he moved him more forward, and that's yeah. when... The stats in particular went mental. Great goal scorer, Stephen Gerrard, 120 Premier League goals. But I really thought like when he won PFA Young Player of the Year in 01, that kind of Gerrard was just frightening. And he remained frightening in fairness to him throughout his whole career. Very intelligent footballer. 
and um, yeah, unbelievably close to complete. And it's very, very tough to leave him out. The, the age-old debate is him or Lampard. Just depends what side of the scratcher you wake up. Really, I think I think Lampard might just edge it because the goal record's that insane. And if that's something that they both offered, I know Gerrard undoubtedly benefited well you could argue if he was in a better team he would have won more but then you could also argue his reputation also benefited off the Roy the Rover so aspect like the fact that his team were underachieving and he kind of needed to drag them out of situations yeah. um, and the whole like Gerard and the whole kind of romance that surrounded it. and sometimes I don't think he had a problem playing up to it I've always always been surprised because Stephen Gerrard he is a smart bloke and he's doing a great job at Rangers I was always surprised when he called the huddle on the pitch when they beat City I thought that was such a rookie error and people say oh yeah, do it in the dressing room he wasn't doing it for Sky even if you weren't you'd be aware like the Sky cameras right up to the huddle they, they could have known they were listening to that um, and the irony actually yeah, of the whole crazy. thing and the slip comment it just didn't go his way but I just thought that was silly um, I thought that was playing up to it a bit and the whole romance of it uh, but there is no denying that Steven Gerrard throughout his career probably never until his last three seasons when that kind of series of groin injuries added up to him losing as well as age to him losing that bit of pace I think for 10, 12 years of his career he wouldn't have been outside the top five midfielders in the world at any point uh, wonderful player wonderful player and someone who especially the way the game's gone now I don't really know if we'll see that exact type of player again Um really really phenomenal 24 goals in all comps in 09 been his best scoring season um, we'll always have a black mark for everyone in the league but on an individual basis it's very hard to black mark someone as great as Stephen Gerrard yeah. and he would be probably in this side um, if it wasn't for the existence of for me without question the Premier League's greatest ever player Paul Scholes 11 league titles the most ever by an English player 3 FA Cups 2 Champions Leagues the most intelligent footballer I've ever seen uh, vision unrivaled we've had people and I know this is cliche but we've had people like Perlo Xavi the list goes on talking about how Scholes was the greatest of his generation the little Man with the red hair and the red shirt, he could play for Brazil. That's Socrates. Um, unbelievable goal scorer. When he first came onto the scene, he was more of a goal scorer before Keane got injured in the 97-98 season. That's when they pushed him in midfield. But we have to remember here, the Paul Scholes played six games less than Steven Gerrard in the Premier League. Steven Gerrard has scored 13 more goals in the Premier League. Gerrard took penalty Skulls didn't so the whole Gerrard's a better goal scorer than Skulls is very very debatable if that's what people want to bring it down to that's very debatable look at that stat 13 less Premier League goals 6 less games didn't take penalties so um, there was like 2 Paul Skulls there was like pre-05 Paul Skulls and then post-05 he obviously had that eye injury and he took time out of the game how we transitioned his game to be the most calm conductor of an orchestra with the best pass and move technique the English game has ever seen. His touch was phenomenal and his strike of a ball was phenomenal, but it was the tempo. Fergie teams always score late. Is it a psychological thing? Is it that, by the way, that absolute myth of the injury time? But you can let people have it. Um, 
But why do Manchester United always get the late goal? Because late on in the game, when you need that late goal, who's the most important person? Because now when we're chasing a goal, and I know in recent weeks we've done better, but it's not a lot of in the past five years it hasn't really been coming. No. Your central midfielder is everything. He's the one who transitions the ball from defence to attack, whether he goes central, whether he plays it out wide, whether he chips it out wide to a full back, and the ball's right in front of them in Everest's stride, in Gary Neville's stride, as opposed to a Matic or Pogba pass now, where Luke Shaw or Ash Leon has to go back a bit. That second matters. It was how quickly he did that, how quickly he got the ball straight back in to putting them under pressure in their final third. Scholes was behind those late winners. He was conducting the entire show. He was behind it. He controlled the tempo for the whole game as well. It was insane. He controlled the football match. 22 blokes met for a football match while Paul Scholes was at United and he decided how it went. Yeah. Like, it's no coincidence that someone like Henri saying without question, and this guy played in Barcelona. He was one of the greatest Premier League players ever. He says it's not a question. Scholes is the greatest Premier League player there's ever been. 11 leagues. And it was important to all of them. Yeah, like, yeah. Giggs has his 13, but you could kind of be like, okay, I nearly, I'd lean towards Skulls as 11. More than Giggs is 13. To a, definitely equal. Yeah. It, like, Skulls, he started that 08 final. Yeah. Giggs didn't, you know what I mean? He was still playing to a ridiculous level deep into his 30s. Yeah. It just didn't stop. It was non-stop. He, I just can't. I, I, I think anyone who denies the Paul Scholes was the greatest Premier League player ever. I think they're just they know they're lying, and I can understand if people are upset about the candy thing. You know that's debatable, that's opinion, and I love that there is debate about it. But how can we sit around and say the guy who was at the heart of Manchester United winning eleven leagues, everything, the heartbeat, he's Paul Scholes. There's no debate here, guys. Every, his intelligence, his creativity, effortless, effortless. And I'm not even going down the route of, oh, I was just born to play the game, a modest man, whatever. Fuck that. I hate these things that people, oh, skulls he couldn't tackle. Skulls he just got up, got showered, played the game. Fuck off. Don't care. I'm talking about the, the, the brilliance here. Everything was done right. I see players give away a ball now three or four times in the United game, and it's acceptable. Pop has passed the ball at a player in seven times this yeah. season. I'd say Skulls did it twice ever. He didn't give the ball away. It wasn't even that wasn't even an option. Like giving the ball away was last in his like list of things. Like that that was it was like he was being controlled by a robot. Yeah. It was unrealistic how good he was, nearly. Crazy, crazy player. Um interestingly enough. When we failed to get Shearer from Blackburn, they were demanding they wanted Skulls as part of the deal. Really? Yeah, that would have been mental, that wouldn't it? That would have been crazy, yeah. yeah. Thank goodness uh, nothing ever came of it. And we obviously had to say... Uh, Woodward probably would have gave it the yeah, go ahead. Oh, Skulls, yeah. yeah, no, throw in, throw in Giggsy yeah. as well. Um, but no, uh, the, the best. The best we've seen in the Premier League, and I think it's going to be a long, long time if we see better. Um, have a good week, and don't forget... We are on iTunes and they show.